Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Here we are. Where are they? Where are the Wednesday Action Group? Not where's Wally. They both start with W. Wednesday Action Group and Wally. They will be... I don't know how they're going to cope because of all the building work. They will be outside the Stock Exchange at 525 Collins Street, Melbourne. That's right, 525 Collins Street, Melbourne. They will be there on your behalf. So why don't you join them? Bring them a cup of coffee. Maybe bring 20 cups of coffee because I expect about 20 people there today. Or maybe 25. Some of us like two cups of coffee. It's cold, it's miserable, it's wet. But there they are, the octogenarians, the septagenarians and the sexagenarians. And one or two young people in their 40s will be there. Wednesday Action Group, reclaim the street, be active. They've been around Melbourne since 1999. The police haven't been able to move them on. Private security can't move them on. City council officers can't move them on. So join them. There's a hole in your life. You're bored of daytime television. You've seen every porno site on the net. Well, coming down to the Wednesday Action Group. 11.30 to 12.30 today, outside the Stock Exchange, 525 Collins Street. And if you wonder where that is, it's down the Station Street end, yeah, Eureka Station end or Southern Cross Station, whatever they like to call it these days. Yes, and the program's almost upon us. I can see the spaceship hovering. They're throwing out the cows... They're about to beam us up, Scotty, to the universe. That's right. We will be one with the universe. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World This Week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr dot org dot au so if nature calls the federal police want to search your property asio's there the local bikey gang wants their money back don't despair after you're beaten up or jailed you can always come back to the podcast 3cr.org.au i'm joseph scan i'm hosting today's program look um it's going to be a particularly tedious boring program because i'm going to be dealing with facts and obviously most people who are broadcast and on television these days don't deal with facts. We deal with a p- 
opinions. Well, I'm sick of opinions. We're going to deal with facts today. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. People elect or appoint delegates to coordinate decisions at a local, regional and national level. It's a little bit cumbersome, but it beats the hell out of being told what to do and when to do it and how high to jump. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. So why anarchism? Well, all it means is without rulers. Now, obviously, those who rule us, whether elected or self-appointed, believe we're all born with original sin and if left to our own devices we would rape and murder each other on a daily basis so you need a strong state to keep our carnal desires in order well every time i've seen a strong state i've seen a lot of murder a lot of rape a lot of dispossession so think about it do we actually need rulers or can we collectively, cooperatively rule ourselves in combination with the people around us with the people fur- and the people further away? That's what anarchism is all about. Okay, facts. Well, a few unpalatable facts. Not inconvenient, unpalatable. Because, you know, if something's unpalatable, you know, it doesn't taste right, does it? If it's inconvenient, well, you can skirt it. You can... Walk around it. You can ignore it. Like common, you know, climate change, it's inconvenient. You can ignore it at this stage anyway. But if it's unpalatable, it doesn't taste right. It makes you gag. It makes you sick. Now, I have been on this planet for almost 65 years. And I was born in this country. And I've always been told that we live in an egalitarian community, that we live in the best country on Mother Earth. And I may have believed it till I was six or maybe seven, but since then I've had a lot of doubts and questions. But what's unquestionable is the fact that since the demise of the Whitlam-led Labor government on the 11th of November 1975. Since the beginning of the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatised revolution, and I'll explain all those words in a minute, that on every available statistical indicator the gap between the powerful and the powerless and the rich and the poor has increased. It's increased to such an extent that the 1% richest Australians own over 40% of the assets in this country and the poorest 40% own 1%. It's a fact. F-A-C-T. That's the fact that faces us every day. So how can we claim to be an egalitarian community? 
We can't claim to be an egalitarian community because we're not. And every day in 2016, the gap widens. Not just in terms of exercising power, but in terms of sharing in the Commonwealth. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered how 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent? I mean, we're not 5 or 8 million people living in Syria in the midst of a civil war. And we're not, you know, living cheek to jowl in some urban slum. Or we're not 200 million people living in a floodplain in Bangladesh. But we are 25 million souls living on a resource-rich continent. Have you ever wondered why we seem to be incapable of looking after the basic needs of all members of this society? Have you ever wondered why the gap continues to increase? Have you ever wondered why the life of your children and grandchildren in the majority of cases in this country will be worse than your own life? Have you ever wondered what happened to the dreams and aspirations of generations of Australians who fought to ensure that we had enjoyed one of the highest standards of living in the world. Have you ever wondered how this happened on our shift? Because ultimately, it's our personal responsibility. We, people of my age, bracket, we, Collectively, not individually, but collectively have allowed this situation to occur, not just in Australia, but across the Western world. We have allowed that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication to dominate every aspect of our existence. We have allowed them to become the parliamentary puppet masters. We have allowed them to exercise power. We have allowed them to enrich themselves at our expense and the expense of our children and grandchildren and their children and grandchildren. We have swallowed the lie that we live in an egalitarian community. And when we start to feel uncomfortable... When we find it's difficult to meet the bills, when we find what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have known for generations of how it is to be a stranger in your own land, what do we do? Do we point the finger at the richest 1%? 
or do we point the finger at each other? Do we look at each other and say, God, I don't like your religious beliefs. I don't like the way you dress. I don't like your gender. I don't like your sexual orientation. I don't like the way you smell. I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you walk. And we become involved in this continual warfare against people who are just as exploited, if not more exploited than we are. Because we think they're the enemy. They're the ones who have taken away our jobs. They're the ones who are undercutting us at work. They're the ones who have taken our university places. Well, boys and girls, because it is like a you know, an episode of play school, really, when you look at politics in this country, it is play school because of all the garbage. Well, my apologies to play school. At least they deal with facts. Politics and social commentarians don't deal with facts in our country. They deal with belief systems and opinions. So how has it come to this? How? How have we allowed this to occur? On our shift. While we've been boozing away, enjoying the good life, we've seen all those things which our parents and grandparents fought for, whittled away, and we've just shrugged our shoulders and said, that's the way it is. That's the way life is. And in campaign is interesting because you capture the mood of a people. And campaign in the electorate of Dunkley has been fascinating because I think it reflects the mood of listeners and it reflects the mood of most Australians. And it's this passive-aggressive attitude to politics in this country. It's fascinating. You know, people shrug their shoulders and say, I don't care. Shrug their shoulders and say, they're all the same. What's the point? There's no point. Nothing's ever going to change. Doesn't matter what you're going to do. It's not going to change. Don't bother me. So what we are seeing is a gradual disillusionment, disenchantment, not just with the parliamentary process, but with the whole of society. And people try to find personal solutions to what is a nationwide issue. Personal solutions lose themselves in their hobbies, lose themselves in pornography, lose themselves on YouTube. Lose themselves trying to make a difference, you know, on the world wide web. Lose themselves in a variety of ways trying to maintain their sanity. And that's why, fewer, despite compulsory voting, fewer and fewer people in this country are casting a ballot. You'll find at the end of this election on the 2nd of July, 
that fewer than 75% of people who are eligible to vote will actually cast a ballot. Already we know that at least 15% of eligible voters are not on the electoral roll, some through ignorance, some by choice. We already know that many of the people who vote informal and don't vote at all have got that same attitude. There is no point. You can't change things. Now, the problem is that any type of democratic society, I'm not talking about just a parliamentary democracy, which is democracy in name only in the majority of cases, but in any democratic society, the survival of those institutions and those processes is reliant on participation in the political process. And the political process is not just the act of casting a ballot every three to four years to elect a representative to make decisions for you for the next three to four years. That is a minuscule aspect of participation. And what we've seen in 21st century Western democracies is the idea that the only participation that is required is the casting of a ballot every three to four years and anything that happens in between is inconvenient. It's inconvenient to have people raise questions. It's inconvenient to have people go on strike, withdraw their labour. In this country, it is illegal to withdraw your labour outside an enterprise bargaining agreement. And even during an enterprise bargaining agreement, you've got to jump so many hoops to withdraw your labour that the act of striking is basically non-existent. It is now a criminal offence. You can be fined $10,000 a day. They're not interested in making a martyr of you. They just want to take your property to teach you a lesson for withdrawing your labour outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. And the list goes on and on. Those of you who are involved in protest activity, how often when you are legally protesting on the streets do you find yourself confronted by private security guards who have no idea, no idea, the fact what you are doing is legal, or even police officers who come around to monitor half a dozen people handing out a few leaflets. It's inconvenient, isn't it? Even, you know, signing a petition can be inconvenient, and asking questions is inconvenient, and being a whistleblower, well, that's the worst of the worst. They should be shot on sight. So it's inconvenient. So how have we allowed this to occur? We have allowed this to occur because we refuse. As a people, as a nation, we refuse to participate both in a parliamentary and extra-parliamentary way in the political processes. So what happens is that unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility 
is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, dominate the political process to such an extent that our politicians are nothing more than puppets. Our representatives, especially our representatives who are, who are responsible for their pre-selection to a political party, are puppets who jump this way and that way, depending where the corporate master wants them to jump. And if you think I'm paranoid, or if you think I'm stupid, or if you think that I'm talking baloney or garbage or shit, think again. Think of the good ship Australia. Think again. As I said at the beginning of the program, have you ever wondered why in a resource, why 25 million people living in a resource-rich country cannot look after the basic human needs of their people? And I wonder about that every minute of every day. I even dream about it. And it's simple. It's simple. We have abrogated collectively our responsibility to be active citizens. We have forgotten that it's the citizen that makes up the collective in the nation state. We have forgotten the power that an individual can exercise in society. We've forgotten. And if we've remembered, we're so consumed with making a buck. We're so busy doing nothing in particular that nothing ever seems to change. So what is this? globalisation revolution that's occurred? What is this corporatisation revolution that's occurred? What is this privatisation revolution that's occurred? What is this deregulation revolution that's occurred? What is a revolution? It has resulted in a change of attitudes. It has resulted in the rise and rise of the corporate sector. It has resulted in the rise and rise of the investment class and the aspirational voter who aspires to be part of the investment class. So we have seen a change, a significant change in attitude which has been engineered through successive governments, both Labor and Liberal, that has turned concerned active citizens who are at the forefront of the struggle to change the political, social and cultural agenda in this country in the 50s and 60s and 70s into carping consumers who are lulled to sleep by a huge number of celebrity chef shows. Lulled to sleep. Isn't it extraordinary how being able to cook well makes you a celebrity? Extraordinary how vacuous our society has become. Reminds me of Rome before it fell. Food pornography, we call it. But getting back to these, these four words, because these four words are important. 
if, you, if you're wondering what you're listening to, you listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. I am encouraging you to, uh, you know, get off your ass and get active. Now let's look at these four words, because these four words encapsulate what has happened in this country in the past four decades. And it encapsulates what has happened in the rest of the world in the past four decades and why we find ourselves in this situation. What is deregulation? Fancy word, isn't it? D-E-R-E-G-U-L-A-T-I-O-N. Deregulation. Deregulation is when legislation is passed through Parliament which removes protections and rights that workers have won through generations of struggle to allow those that exploit us to continue to exploit us. That's what deregulation is. It's about removing all those checks and balances and protections. It's about removing all those, you know, unpleasant safety rules in the workforce. It's about removing those regulations which protect investors, as we've seen with the banking scandals that have rocked this country in the last few years. It's about removing those regulations which prevent the business sector, the corporate sector especially, doing whatever they like. It's about removing regulations which ensure that corporate Australia pays tax. That's what deregulation is about. It's about removing all those constraints that were placed on the corporate sector to protect individual workers and to ensure that we all enjoyed some of the Commonwealth. And we have seen what four decades of deregulation have done. And when you combine deregulation with privatisation, you get the perfect storm, the maelstrom. Think about it. Think about what's happening. Think about privatisation. What is privatisation? Another fancy word. P-R-I-V-I-T-I-S-A-T-I-O-N. They're always long, these words, aren't they? These political words we come up with. Privatisation. P-R-I-V-I-T-I-S-A-T-I-O-N. Have I spelled it wrongly? Let me know. Send me a letter, but don't put any stamps on it. Then I won't receive it. So what is privatisation? Now, during the 19th century, it became obvious to people that the private sector can only exist if it can create a profit and that people were being left behind and that services needed to be financed and run by governments to look after people's needs. We saw the rise of public education, public health, public infrastructure, public housing. These were 
the political revolutions of the 20th century, when we saw ordinary people for extraordinary courageous actions which led to the deaths of millions, force the state to change its role from an instrument that protected those who exercised power to an instrument that provided basic services to the population as a whole. And many of these industries were profitable. If those of us who are old enough to remember, you had things like the Commonwealth Bank, which had a government guarantee because it was owned by the government. We had Qantas, which had a government guarantee because it was owned by the government. We had Telstra, which was owned, well, those days it was called a telecom, which was owned by the government. We had ports. We had airports. All these facilities were owned by the government. We still have a little bit of a post office left, but not much, and that's about it. So these publicly owned and publicly run institutions provided basic services to the population. And there were hundreds of them across the country, including butcher shops in the 1920s in Queensland so that people could actually afford to eat a little bit of protein, a little bit of meat. So the history of publicly owned corporations has a long history. So what we saw after 1975 was this idea, and it was a politically conceived idea, that the public sector cannot run anything and that if you want things to be efficient, they need to be privately run. And what we've seen over the last 40 years is more and more public assets, more and more public services being sold at bargain basement prices to the private sector. And the last example of this was the Melbourne port, which was uh, leased, I think it was going to be leased for 25 or 50 years. And in federally, it was the uh, privatisation of uh, Medibank Private, which actually provided a return to the government of about $150 million a year. Easy money if you can get it. So privatisation is when successful publicly owned assets are sold to the private sector, like the MBA, which is currently owned by the people of this country, but which will, once it's up and running, be sold to the private sector at a bargain basement price. I wonder if you get a little bit of a contribution to your election coffer you know, at the end of that. But that's another story. I don't want to talk about corruption today. I mean, I don't have to fill up a whole program for the rest of the year if we've got to talk about political corruption. The wink-wink, nod-nod syndrome. So, but the thing is, it's gone further than actually privatising physical assets like airports and infrastructure. We now privatise service. For example... Remember Centrelink? Well, it used to run an employment service. We tried to find employment for people. Now what we've seen is the privatisation of the job-finding network. And we see hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayers' money, if not billions of dollars of taxpayers' money, going to private corporations 
to find jobs and do Mickey Mouse courses for people. And 40 cents of every dollar of that is eaten up in profits and uh, administration costs. 40 cents of every dollar. That's what privatisation is about. Then we had the privatisation of welfare. We have religious-based organisations with begging bowls in their hands asking you for money who are receiving billions of dollars of taxpayers' funds to provide welfare to, to the community. You see it every day. You see the number of homeless people rise. You see the amount of personal violence, interpersonal violence increase. You see the amount of despair escalate. But don't worry, we've got four or five or six or seven or eight billion dollars being given to privately run, you know, religious-based organisations which are now providing welfare in inverted commas. What's wrong with the state actually looking after its own people? We've seen it now in the public housing lists. We're seeing public housing being turned into so-called social housing where the running and sometimes the ownership of public housing, which has been paid for with taxpayers' money and managed by the Housing Commission services, now been given away to the social welfare sector to run and own in perpetuity. We're talking about privatising all the ins and outs of Medicare. And the list goes on and on. Privatising the hex debt, giving it to a private corporation. And the most brilliant one has been the privatising of the universities and the TAFE colleges, where we've seen hundreds of billions of dollars wasted in rorts where the perpetrators basically don't even get a slap on the wrist if they give a little bit of that money back. That's what privatisation is about. It's about selling publicly owned assets which are providing a return to the Treasury and providing a much-needed service to the people of this country to a private corporation who runs the same service at a profit, decreasing the surface, the, uh, the quality of the service. That's the reality. That's reality. That's a fact. All you've got to do is look at the TAFE sector to see what happens when you privatise public education. And there are moves afoot. Like we talk about public hospitals. Well, most public hospitals have now privatised most of their internal workings. They've privatised their ward staff. They've privatised their kitchen staff. They've subcontracted all out, thinking they'll save some money. Everybody knows what happens when you privatise these services. Now, I'm not saying publicly run services are brilliant. Obviously, there's fat. Obviously, changes can be made. But in, you know, when you compare them to privately run services, you understand there is an issue. There is an issue. I mean, why should we, you and I, be denied choice? We're all told it's about giving us choice. 
things are privatised to give us a choice. Well, I'd like to have my loans from a publicly owned bank. If I had any money, I'd like to put it in a publicly owned bank. And maybe I'd like to kind of fly on a publicly owned airline because I'd be feel safer because maybe they wouldn't be cutting corners in terms of maintenance. And maybe I would like to deal, if I found myself in a difficult situation, with a public entity. And then it gets worse because not only do you privatise public services, what you do is you run down the public services that are left, like Centrelink or Medicare. You run them down specifically to increase public dissatisfaction with them and then you can privatise them and make maximal return for a private corporation. Look at the refugee situation. How pathetic. We have 3,000 human beings on Manus Island and Nauru. We have private organisations, not government organisations, but private organisations providing the services, in inverted commas. And it costs 300000 that's right, $300,000 per year per person to keep somebody on Manus Island or Nauru. You keep them on the Hilton, in the Hilton, in the executive suite for $300,000 per year. That's what the private sector does for you. Maximise the profits, socialise the losses. That's privatisation. What was that other big word we were talking about? We've spoken about deregulation and privatisation. How about corporatisation? Sounds like corpse, doesn't it? Corporatisation. Oh, this is a hard one. C-O-R-P-O-R-A-T-I-S-A-T-I-O-N. Corporatisation. What is corporatisation? Corporatisation is when you allow a handful of companies to run a particular facet of the economy. For example, as far as groceries are concerned, for all intentional purposes, we have a duopoly. We have two large corporations which run the the dry grocery industry. As far as uh, security is concerned, we have two or three large corporations which run security in this country. You know, and the list goes on and on. So what happens is that you have these unaccountable corporations who dominate the marketplace who are then actually able to fix prices in such a way as to maximise their profits at the expense of the population as a whole. So corporatisation is when governments allow corporations to get so big that they dominate the marketplace and actually determine the cost of their services, not based on competitive factors, but based on the fact that they actually control that part of the economy. Now, even in the United States, the home of corporate capitalism, 
If a corporation controls more than 25% of a particular field of economic endeavour, they are forced to divest themselves of those acquisitions. In this country, we've got corporations. Look at the media. Classical example. Three to four major corporations dominate 98% of the privately owned media. No wonder there's never a diversity of opinion. No wonder what you hear in the anarchist world this week today, you will never hear anywhere else, either on the corporate-owned media or the government guild at ABC. These debates don't occur there. These conversations don't occur there. These ideas don't appear there. That's what corporatisation is about. It's about ensuring that most small businesses will be run into the ground. It's ensuring that most small businesses will never make enough profit for their owners, for them to retire in comfort. That's what corporatisation is about. It's about allowing these large corporations to dominate the marketplace. And Australia is number one. Numero uno. Ichiban. In the universe. Well, on planet Earth. I don't know what happens in other galaxies. But on planet Earth, in terms of allowing corporations to dominate the marketplace. And then you have globalisation. Now, globalisation is another big word, isn't it? I do like that they all end with isation because that's the same spelling. Globalisation. G-L-O-B-A-L-I-S-A-T-I-O-N. Globalisation. Well, globalisation is when you allow transnational corporations, that's corporations have their feet in many countries at the same time, sovereign states at the same time, to dominate the international and national marketplace. What that means in plain English is that you shirk your responsibility as a government of a sovereign nation state and allow these unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to make ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human social and environmental costs and national costs to dominate the marketplace. You allow them to do that. And you do it through three trade agreements. Wonderful things. Now, I love it. I love it when I see a politician get up and say, we will determine who comes into this country and thump their chests, talk about border security and the sovereign, you know, how important it is to maintain your sovereign borders. And I go, yay, brothers and sisters. And then you see the same politicians say, well, as far as economic matters are concerned, we don't give a shit about sovereign borders. And that's what globalisation is about. It's allowing large corporations to do what they like legally, like pay no tax. That's what it's about. It's about signing three trade agreements which have clauses in them which allow a corporation to sue Parliament if Parliament passes legislation to improve the lives of some or all of its citizens and that legislation impinges on the profitability of that corporation. 
based in a country we have a free trade agreement with. And a big problem is, you know, pharmaceuticals in this situation. And the list goes on and on. So what about economic sovereign power? Isn't that an important issue? And this is what we've had to put put up with in the last four decades. And that's what has opened the door to this creeping and now galloping inequality that has occurred in this country. That's what it's about. Every day, every minute, every day, every week, every year. Watch them move their mouths, read between the lines, and you will see what this is about. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scanner. I'm hosting today's program. If you want to leave messages, 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. If you want to join Pipsy, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, go to the website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Download the application form. If you're not computer literate or not interested in computers, you can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave a message for an application form in 0439 395 489. And remember, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You also have got listener on demand if you just, the program has been, you know, uh, on the net as we speak. And the list goes on and on. This program is broadcast across Australia into Tasmania, the Northern Territory. West Australia, South Australia, Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales and the ACT, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Now, a few things. Now, I always celebrate Marbo Day. You'll find that Reconciliation Week begins on the 28th of... Saturday, the 28th of May this year and concludes on Friday, the 3rd of June. Sorry Day is the 28th of May. Marbo Day is the 3rd of June. And once again, I'll be involved in celebrations for Marbo Day. And Marbo Marbo Day celebrates the fact that on the 3rd of June, 1992, the High Court of Australia found that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land. The myth of terra nullis, the land that belonged to nobody, which underlined the the brutal colonisation process, which saw the dispossession of people that lived on this country for forty to 50,000 years, was based on that life, terra nullis. And on the 3rd of June, 1992, the High Court of Australia, 204 years after colonisation process began, was forced to acknowledge that it was a lie. Now, irrespective of what's happened since the 3rd of June, 1992, in terms of native title rights and sovereign rights, irrespective and the bucket loads of extinguishment which successive parliament, parliament, parliaments have attempted 
to tip on the Mabo judgment. The Mabo judgment still sits there as an important pivotal day in the reconciliation process between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. And on that, on the 3rd of June this year in Melbourne, we will be celebrating that day and we welcome you to join us midday, Friday the 3rd of June, midday. Meet us at Federation Square near the Information Hut. Be a small gathering, 40 to 50 people, maybe 100. Ellen Hosea, Torres Strait Islander elder, will actually be uh, the master of ceremonies on that day. Come and join us on the day, midday, Federation Square in Melbourne, corner of uh, Flinders Street and St Kilda Road near the Information Centre. You can't miss the giant banner. So join us on the day. Mark the day. It's important that we mark pivotal events in this country's history and not see them swept under the carpet. So if you're involved in activities during Reconciliation Week, whether it's Sorry Day on the 28th of May or whether it's Mabo Day on the 3rd of June, it's important that we use this week to kick-start what can only be described as a stalled reconciliation process in this country. And the next day, on the 4th of June, don't forget that we're having a forum. Yes, a forum at the Ballarat Trades and Labor Council at at 26 Camp Street in Ballarat from 2pm to 4pm about flying the Eureka flag on the Ballarat City Hall. Now, you wouldn't believe it, would you? You go to Ballarat, every business... Almost every business, you know, all the symbols, the universities, the tech colleges, the schools, the town hall itself, the city council have all got the Eureka flag incorporated into their symbols. And, you know, almost 100, was 165 years later, it was 166, I've got to do my maths, you won't believe this. The Eureka flag has never been flown on the main flagpole on the Ballarat City Hall. And we have been pushing this campaign now for 13 years with no results. And once again, I wrote to every councillor, inviting them to the forum, and guess how many responded? None. Not even saying... Thank you for your invitation or thank you for the poster. None. And they bitch about the fact that racist and nationalist elements are trying to usurp the Eureka flag for their own, you know, pedestrian interest. If they show no respect for the Eureka flag, how do you expect anybody else to show respect for the Eureka flag? So I encourage you, I don't care where you are in Australia, I encourage you to come down to this forum. There'll be three main speakers. Mr Brett Edgerton, who's the Secretary of the Ballarat Trades and Labor Council. Dorothy Wickham from Ballarat Heritage Services, a well-known historian based in Ballarat. These are both people based in Ballarat. And yours truly for the reclaim the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion mob. So 2pm to 4pm, TM Bickies, free entry, Ballarat Trades Hall, 26 Camp Street in Ballarat, Saturday the 4th of June. 
All right, how's the election campaign going? The Dunkley, Toscano for Dunkley. Go to the website, Toscano for Dunkley. I expect to have all my nomination formalities completed by Monday, Tuesday next week and an official launch of the campaign the week after. The campaign is based on the simple concept of actually making the richest 1% pay 1%. Uh, Because all the underlying problems we have in this country today can be, you know, can be, can be, um, are related, not can be, are related to the fact that corporate Australia doesn't pay its way in this country. They're happy to use the police. They're happy to use the courts. They're happy to use the roads. They're happy to use the infrastructure. They're happy to manipulate the parliamentarians. But when it comes to coughing up a, a few dollars to keep the place going, and they're not happy to do that. And in this election campaign, they are the elephant in the room that's not been mentioned. And the Toscano for Dunkley campaign is about raising this issue in one corner of this great land. One corner. That's the electorate of Dunkley, which covers... It's uh, in the Melbourne's southern suburbs, which covers the suburbs of uh, Frankston, North Frankston, Seaford, Mornington, Mount Eliza. About 250,000 people live in that electorate. There's about 100,000 on the electoral roll. And why that electorate? Because that electorate is a microcosm of Australian society. You've got some of the richest people in Australia living in Oliver's Hill and some of the poorest people in Australia living in the Pines in North um, Frankston in the same electorate. So it is an interesting electorate in terms of raising these issues because access to public health, access to public education, access to public services, access to public infrastructure, access to public housing, these are all important fundamental issues. And through this campaign is based on the introduction of four new pieces of legislation in Parliament, very simple, which would raise $155 billion dollars per year, an increase, increase taxation revenue in this country from $450 billion to $600 billion, which would ensure that there would be adequate assets for all the things we are now struggling for. Because if you look at the major parties' political platforms, it is not about making the richest 1% pay 1%. It's not about making the corporate sector who pay voluntary taxation One-third of the 1,500 richest companies in this country paid no tax legally last year. Rupert Murdoch gets an $886 million tax refund legally in 2013 while making millions of dollars of profit. So remember these issues. And this is what the Toscano for Dunkley campaign is about. I'll spend a lot of time next week going through the campaign. Once the nomination procedures are finalised, I will go through the campaign because you are an essential part of that campaign. And unfortunately, I will, or fortunately, I will need your assistance to make an impact in that electorate. So think about it. Put it in your books. 2nd of July, put it in your books. Think about it. You've been listening to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. 
www.community.org.au. This program is broadcast from the studios of uh, Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne. My name is Jester Scanner. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489 0439 395 489. Websites to look at anarchistmedia.org. PIBC, P I B C I.net. That's public interest before corporate interest. Look at the Facebook page. Look at the public interest before corporate interest Facebook page. Put it up on your. Go to the Toscano for Dunkley website. Look at the Facebook page. Become my virtual friend. We all need friends, especially virtual friends. I was thinking of charging every friend $10 and then maybe I'd have no more friends. But at the minute we're getting lots of friends but not many likes. So thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can uh, listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.